Merry Christmas! Man, it is just a joy to be with you. We've been going through this series called Peace on Earth throughout the Advent season, kind of exploring the, the theme of the annunciation of these angelic messengers that appear to shepherds out in the fields. And when these shepherds are out in the fields, the angels come and they say, Glory to God in the highest heaven. In Latin, we say, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or the New Living says, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. These angels declare peace on earth. The good news of Jesus is that peace is possible. God actually desires in your life that your life would be characterized by peace instead of chaos. But peace is not found in the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of Jesus. God gives us peace when our eyes are fixed on who he is. We talked about living at peace with others and said, if you're looking to be offended, you're going to find it. If you're looking for ways to be at odds or to fight with other people, it's, it's going to happen. But you can choose to be like Jesus, who said, I would rather lay down my life to build the relationships with other people. Because life, we said, it's too short. The mission of building God's kingdom, it is too great to allow some of the things that we allow to divide us to divide us. And so as followers of Jesus, we ought to seek to be a continual blessing even to those who are a continual problem. We talked last week about experiencing peace while we're waiting. None of us likes to wait. And yet the truth is, is that while we're waiting, God is working. It may be that there's something that God wants to do in our lives and that while we're waiting, God is working on it and he is getting it ready for you. And it may be that God is working on you and that you're not quite ready. But we believe as followers of Jesus that our good God has something for us and that while we're waiting, he is still working. If you have a Bible in your hands, it might be a papery one. Might be a digitally one. Maybe you need to borrow one. There's some in the chairs in front of you. I'd invite you to go ahead and grab one of those if you need it. But I'd invite you to grab a Bible and lift it up nice and high and just say, I got my Bible, PJ. Man, I am so glad that you have a Bible with you this morning. If you don't have a Bible, as a reminder, we'd love to either point you to where you can download one or get a paper one in your hands. We're going to be in a few different passages, but primarily focusing on the Christmas story today as it's found in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, you can, can kind of put a finger in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. You ever made plans for something and then kind of watched as it unraveled before your eyes? And just that frustration of I was thinking one thing and then this happened to me. I remember one Christmas, it was my first Christmas that I was um, away at college, and I was getting ready to finish up my first semester of college and go home for Christmas break. And I had plans to get home and to drive. I had checked the weather forecast, and the weather for central Indiana that day was not great. 
It was supposed to start blizzarding right after I was supposed to leave. And I had about a four and a half hour drive up to Michigan. Now the good news was is that I knew once I got a little bit north, I was going to be okay. The snow was really kind of in central Indiana. And I had one final exam that I had to take. It was an English composition exam. I hated English all the way through school. So I show up for my English composition exam. I'm so excited to be done with this stupid class, and I am ready to go to Christmas break. I sit down in the computer lab. It's where our exam was for the day, and I look out the window, and there's no snow on the ground. There's just the tiniest little bit of flurries starting to fall. And I sit down at the computer. I don't remember really what the the prompt was, but I start writing. And y'all, it's like... 45 minutes of writing, I am just going solid, typing away like crazy, and it is a killer paper. It is like amazing. It is awesome. I am so excited. It's like the best writing I've ever had. And I get like to the concluding paragraph, blue screen of death. <laughs> I go down to the computer and I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe autosave helped me out here. I turn on the computer wait for Windows Millennium Edition to boot back up. And it finally comes back up, and I look for my paper. There's nothing there. Not a thing. I look out the window, and it's starting to snow a little bit harder outside. There's maybe about a dusting an inch on the ground or so, and I'm watching, and I'm thinking, okay, nothing I can do at this point. I can't have a zero on a final exam. I can't leave just yet. I start writing again. I'm remembering some of the things that I said before, but I'm in a little bit of a hurry watching that snow beginning to fall. And I get through the paper, and the first paper was a killer paper. The second paper was a really all good, good paper. It was, I was doing really well, and I'm nervous because I had the blue screen. So like every few seconds, it's control S, save, control S. Like I am saving, I write three words, save it, right? I'm going all the way through this thing. I get to like another 45 minutes into this paper. Most of the class is starting to dwindle out. (coughs) Blue screen of death. But I've saved every few seconds along the way. So I reach down, I turn on my computer. It finally boots itself all the way up and I get to it and... Paper there. And I'm looking out the window, and there's three inches of snow, and there's these massive flurries, and it is just bucketing snow. And I hate English composition, and everybody else is left. And I move to another computer, and I'm so frustrated. I had a killer paper, I had a really good paper, and I had, a, I'm going to get this doggone thing turned in paper. I flow through the paper, and I finally turned it in. I have no idea what I got on that final exam, but I did leave central Indiana, and I didn't die that Christmas. Have you ever made plans and watched it unravel in front of your eyes? I feel like in the Christmas movies, it's always the turkey, right? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. If this turkey looks half, tastes half as good as it looks until they cut into it, and it's so overcooked and dry, it's barely edible. Tim Allen's Santa Claus, he has his son over, and they light the turkey on fire. They end up going to Denny's. Ralphie's Christmas Story, they bring the, the turkey out of the oven, and they're trying to baste it until the bumpus dogs break in and destroy the turkey, and they end up having Chinese food for Christmas dinner. Even if you tend to be impulsive and somebody who can just kind of go with the flow, chances are that you've had a time in your life when your plans failed. Maybe you tore something apart and you were going to fix it 
and it was something small, and you thought, man, this isn't going to be any problem. I'm just going to fix this thing. But once it was laying out on the table in pieces, you realized, I have no idea how this thing goes back together. Maybe you had a vacation or a trip planned with your family, and just before you left, everybody got sick. Maybe you bought your husband a gift and you poured heart and intentionality and thought into getting something that was special and it was just for him. And he tore open the paper and he looked at it and went, oh, that's neat. Next! Sorry, Christia. Sometimes things in life just don't go quite the way you expect it to. We have a plan, and we know where we're headed and what it's going to take to get us, but somewhere along the way, something happens that just derails the train of our life, and we, we find ourselves in this situation just kind of looking around going, it's not supposed to be this way. In fact, sometimes even when we're attempting to do what we think God wants for us, things don't seem to go the way we think they should. And we can easily find ourselves frustrated and disappointed or even feeling kind of let down by God himself. And I want to talk to you this morning about how we begin to find peace in our lives, even when our plans fail, even when things don't go quite the way we expect them to. There's some truths from God's word I want to share with you this morning, and even some stories from the Christmas story that I think we might find helpful. The first truth is a little bit of a hard pill to swallow. So we're going to take the hard one first and just kind of get it out of the way and just kind of be aware of it. And that first truth is you aren't God. And so your plans don't govern the universe. I mean, on one hand, it's a no-brainer, right? I tell you, you're not God. You're not in control of the universe. And you're like, yeah, I know. But on the other hand, it's a little bit of a gut punch, right? Because in my story, I want to make the decisions. In my story, I don't just want to be the protagonist or the main character, but sometimes I, I want to be the author. God has given us, as a gift of grace, free will. And we have the ability to make choices in life. And sometimes we choose good things, and they bring blessing into our lives or the lives of those around us. Or if we, we want, sometimes we choose things, and they cause pain for us and for those around us. But sometimes, even though God's grace has given us the ability to influence our situation, we forget this truth. We forget who is really in charge of the story. In Proverbs, it says this, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are our plans, the things that we're thinking about, the things that we carry and we want for our life. Many are the plans in our heart, but it is God's purpose that ultimately prevails. Ultimately, you're not God, and so your plans don't govern the universe. Remember last week we talked about that intertestamental period of Jewish history? The 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, the, the blank page in your Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament? 400 years where God is silent. There's no prophet to speak on his behalf. And yet while God is seemingly silent in scripture, if you've ever studied history, you know that history was anything but silent during this time period. There is so much happening. The land of Judea is in near constant turmoil. Everyone has plans. 
right? At the close of the Old Testament, we read about the rise of the Persian Empire. Cyrus allows them to go back into the land from, from being in captivity and exile, and they can go back into Jerusalem. And the Persian Empire is seemingly in control of the world until... Shortly after the close of the Old Testament, Alexander the Great takes over. And now instead of the Persians, it's the Greeks who are in control. And Alexander the Great, he divides his kingdom. He gives the part of that Judea is ruled by to Ptolemaic Egypt. And then, and then Ptolemaic Egypt, they're conquered by the Seleucid Empire. And at first, the Seleucid Empire says, we're going to live at peace with everybody until one of their kings, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, he says, I want to keep the Jewish people under my thumb. I'm going to show my power. I'm going to show that I'm in control. And so he walks into the Jerusalem temple and he sacrifices a pig on the Jerusalem temple's altar to Zeus. And the Jewish people, including the high priest, they are angry. They throw a revolt. They, they start fighting against the Seleucid Empire. And they're, they're angry. Their revolt gets so strong that the Seleucids back off. And they say, okay, you can worship your God again. And so the Jews go back in and they try to cleanse the temple and say, we're going to worship God here. Except when they get back into the temple, there's only enough oil for one day. And so they light the, the oil to start the, the lamp in the temple. And Jewish Historians say it lasts for eight miraculous days. They celebrate Hanukkah, remembering this event. Meanwhile, while all of this is going on, there's turmoil happening just to the north in the Roman Republic. There's civil wars that are beginning to break out. One of the guys makes friends with somebody up in Rome. His name is Herod, and he becomes kind of the ruler of the area of Judea. And then the, the Roman Senate gets together in 27 BC, and they elect Octavian to be the first governor of the, or the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And that's just barely scratching the surface of an oversimplified view of everything that is happening in history in that 400 years. Suffice to say, everyone has plans. Every ruler, every king, every dynasty, every empire that rises and falls during this period of time, they all have plans, thoughts of what they think they're going to do, how the world is going to go, and yet behind the scenes, the king of kings, the creator God of the universe, is working towards the purpose of weaving together the fabric of history until, as we read last week, the set time had fully come when Jesus would be born of a woman. During this time period, some of the most powerful and influential men ever to walk planet Earth lived, and yet they were unknowingly setting the stage for a small baby to be born to a peasant family who was the real centerpiece of the whole story of history. Something about human nature likes the illusion that we're in control, that I have power, that I'm writing my own story. But as someone has once said, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. God is sovereign and in control, and the simple truth is we aren't. James, teaching on this in the New Testament, tells followers of Jesus these words. He says, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on some business and make some money, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're like a mist. It appears for a while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. 
You make all of these plans. You think you're in control. You think, yeah, we're going to go here. We're going to go there. We're going to make a little money. We're going to go on vacation. We're going to cook a turkey for Thanksgiving. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. It'd be wiser to realize that what you do, you only do if it is actually the Lord's will for you to accomplish because you're not God. And your plans, they don't govern the universe tough news for some of us to swallow that we're not really as in control as we might like to think we are but the good news is Jesus is in control and not only that but you don't have to understand his plan to trust that God has a purpose God's people had no idea what was happening throughout the 400 years that they were waiting in silence once upon a time they had been a nation It was ruled by powerful kings until they were overthrown and they went into exile. They came back into the land and they had all of these hopes and expectations of what things were going to be like. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to build the city walls. And it all fell apart again. They were overthrown. There was a pig sacrificed on their altar. And then eventually they fought and they got their freedoms back and they established worship the way they wanted. But again... Things just didn't go right. Political tension still remained. They, they weren't in power. The economy suffered. Corruption was evident in every sector of life. And they were just desperate. Desperate for God to show up. In your life, there may be some things right now that haven't gone quite the way you'd hoped. And just like the people, God's people in the first century, you might sometimes look around at your own life and go, This is nothing like what I had planned. In fact, this feels like the opposite of what I'd planned. I had had hopes, and even when things fell apart and we rebuilt them, I thought that it was going to work this time. This is not what what I had planned, but you have to understand, don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. And the characters in the Christmas story, they, they would certainly discover this to be profoundly true in their lives. Let's read again Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Matthew writes, he says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'm always amazed at Joseph's part in the Christmas story. He's this young man who's getting ready to start his own life. He knows this trade. Maybe he learned it from his father or he apprenticed with somebody in the local town and he's learned how to do carpentry and he's planning for life, planning to marry this young girl and, and to build a home for them. 
in Jewish tradition, marriage was kind of, we have two parts today, engagement and marriage, but in Jewish tradition, the engagement piece was a little bit more serious than it is for some of us today. It was actually a binding legal contract. So between even the engagement and the wedding ceremony, you were legally bound to the person you were engaged to, and it would require a divorce to get out of that relationship. And so Joseph and Mary, they're legally bound to one another, and he has all of these plans for what life is going to go like. He knows he doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't come from a wealthy family, and they don't live in a, a prominent city. He knows they're not the best educated, but this is his life, and he's ready to embrace it. You remember being like in your late teens or in your 20s, that season of life when things are kicking off and so much is happening. You're, you're learning to drive. You're, you're graduating high school. Maybe you're going off to college. Maybe you're getting a job and learning a trade. You find somebody that you want to spend your life with. You buy your first home. You have your first children. There's so many plans that we make in this season of life. And this is Joseph ready to step into his future. All of these plans in mind, likely between engagement and marriage, he'd be building a physical home that he was planning to spend his life in with Mary. And then Mary comes home with news that she's pregnant. And when you're planning to get married and start your life, and she shows up with news that she's pregnant, your plans start to unravel really fast. And for Joseph, this was made even worse by the fact he knew this was not his baby. He knew what that took. He, he'd been through sixth grade, and he knew that hadn't happened yet. And Mary had this audacious claim that this baby was from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's world, I have to believe, comes crashing down in that moment. Every plan that he has made for his life. And he doesn't want to make matters worse for Mary. He's looking at her and he, he loves her and he cares about her. And, and the way she's talking, there's such sincerity in her voice, but it's crazy. I didn't know I was engaged to a crazy person. What is she talking about? Imagine him drawing away in prayer. God, I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this? All I ever wanted to do was live a quiet life, to be a carpenter, to have my wife, to have some kids, to, to, to serve you faithfully as one of your people. I haven't done anything wrong, God. I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful to Mary. I've done what I was supposed to do. How could you let this happen to me? but you don't have to understand the plan, right? In order to trust that God has a purpose. What Joseph couldn't see in verse 19 was that God was destroying his plan. God was destroying Joseph's plan in order to establish the Lord's purposes. The very words that the prophet Isaiah had written 700 years earlier, words that would be spoken in the synagogues and the temples throughout the land of Judea, were being fulfilled. The hope of all of God's people had reached the set time. Joseph's life was not going to look at all how he planned it. 
But God was working his miraculous purpose set forth since the garden when God told Adam and Eve that it would be the seed from Eve who would crush the serpent's head. See, what Joseph was about to learn is that God can turn your disappointment into a divine appointment. Verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 1 are probably the lowest moment of Joseph's entire life. But God was about to show up through the form of an angelic messenger and deliver the best news that had ever been given. What the plans of God's people for millennia had not been able to accomplish, God himself was about to do. Since the time of Adam and Eve, sin had reigned in the hearts of human beings. The relationship that we were created to have a perfect connection with God our Father was ripped apart by sin, and sinful humanity could not come back into a perfect union with a holy God because sin reigned in our hearts. And all of history was trying to fix this problem, to come back into relationship with God. And yet Moses and the law couldn't fix the problem. The judges and the prophets couldn't fix the problem. A political nation where God's people were in charge, an independent nation under God, couldn't fix the problem. A powerful human king who was ruling over them couldn't fix the problem. A season of going away into exile, being disciplined by God, couldn't fix the problem. Coming back into the land and rebuilding the temple and the walls couldn't fix the problem. Cleansing the temple from all of the religious impurity that had happened there couldn't fix the problem. No matter what human beings did, sin reigned in our hearts. And so long as sin reigned in our hearts, we would never experience what we were created for. Connection with our creator. And so God would send Jesus that he could die in our place, that any penalty, any impurity that was ours would be placed on him. Everything that separates us from God, that holds us back from the fullness of a relationship with Him, every impurity would be borne by Jesus on the cross so that you could know Emmanuel, so that God could be with us again. I don't know what you might be going through today. I don't know what might be just around the corner in your life. No doubt you have thoughts. You have plans for what you would like your life to look like and how you would like things to go. Maybe you've already discovered, or maybe you're soon to discover, that life is not always going to look the way you planned it. And you have a choice how you handle that moment. Many people, when they reach that moment of discovery that this is not how I planned it, turn to anger and frustration and bitterness. They harden their hearts towards God and maybe the people around them. They point the finger of blame. They isolate themselves from everyone else and they buy into the enemy's lies. There's no hope. There's no joy in your life. There's no love, peace, is impossible for you. But maybe, 
the moment of your greatest disappointment is something that God wants to turn into a divine appointment. And the only way that you will get to play a part in it is if you are open to the possibility that God is still up to something in your life. Joseph chose to listen to the angel's words, to believe that maybe God had a purpose that was bigger than his plan. He took Mary home as his wife. He raised and cared for her and the child that she bore. He remained faithful to the Lord and to Mary. And God enabled Joseph a very unique and intimate role in his plan to offer salvation to the entire world. Rather than allowing himself to withdraw into bitterness and isolation, Joseph allowed himself to come closer to Jesus. And the best place you can find peace is in drawing your life nearer to Jesus. All of God's people had been desperate for God to show up, looking for him to say anything, just to speak in the middle of the pain and the chaos and the frustration that they were feeling. They were shepherds. They were out grazing their sheep at night. Daryl shared with me last, uh, last week the reason they're out at night, they're, they're afraid that the Romans are going to come and steal their sheep. And so this is safe. The cover of night, they can go out into the fields and they can allow their sheep to graze. And we're told in Luke's gospel that while they're out there at night hiding in fear, that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Can you imagine? One o'clock in the morning, and for some reason, you're driving down Olmerton, angry and frustrated at your situation and everything that God has allowed to happen, wanting him to say anything, and all of a sudden an angel shows up over the road and the glory of God is there, you'd be terrified. <laughs> and the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. And it will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, today, in this moment, right now, there's a Savior who has been born, and He is for you. He is your Messiah. He is the Lord. And this is the sign for you. You'll find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger meant for animals. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with this angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, All right, we better go to Bethlehem. Let's check this thing out that's happened that the Lord has told us about. Symbolic of all of God's people. These shepherds are out in the fields hiding in fear, simply trying to make it from one day to the next. And God shows up radically in their life with a declaration of favor upon them. In spite of being dirty and poor and fearful and sinful and frustrated, God chose to see them as favored. And he invited them to have a peek at his glory. The glory of the Lord shone around them. 
But even greater than the scene that unfolded in the fields was the chance they were given to draw near to a Messiah, a Christ child, who had been born for them and as the Savior of the world. No matter what life is like, no matter how chaotic it is, no matter what relationship you have that is strained right now, no matter what you're waiting for that still hasn't happened, no matter what your plans were that seem like they are falling apart, peace is possible. God has sent Jesus to bring peace on earth for all those on whom his favor rests. Which if you've read that tagline for the last four weeks, maybe some of you are a little skeptical like I am at times. And you go, yeah, there's peace for them on whom God's favor rests. But who does God's favor rest upon? I'll remind you of what Scripture says. Because what Scripture teaches over and over and over and over again, is that no matter how dirty you feel like, no matter whether you're living in fear, no matter whether you have your doubts, no matter whether you're even frustrated with God, no matter what situation you find yourself in, God's favor rests on those who will receive him. Romans says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In John 1, John tells the Christmas story and says, to those who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of natural descent or a husband's will, but born of God. Maybe the most famous verse in all of Scripture says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. God has chosen you. You are one of those on whom his favor rests. He is seeking you. He has left heaven to come to earth, and he is declaring to you, maybe not as angelic, but through a messenger this morning, there is a Savior born for you, and he is inviting you to come and see him. God has already chosen you. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor and nothing you can do that he will prevent you from coming to him. But you are created in the very image of a holy God who is drawing you. He has ordained every day of your life before one of them came to be. And he proclaims peace over your life. Peace that's not found in the absence of problems, that's not found in every relationship always going perfectly, that's not found in, in your plans always working out or things happening on your timetable, but peace that is found when we draw near to Jesus, when we seek Him and open our lives, when we stop trying to be the one who is in control and we just surrender to the God who has been writing his story in our lives all along. And we allow him to work for our good, even when it doesn't make sense to us. 
God has created you for relationship with him. And he is so desperate for you to know him. The reason that we celebrate Christmas is that you will never establish perfect peace in your life. The shalom, shalom, that that peace with God, peace with self, and peace with others, you'll never create shalom, shalom on your own. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, that we might receive adoption into his family and that we might inherit the very perfect peace, shalom, shalom, of God our Savior. And so may the peace of God guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as you seek him as your Messiah and your Savior this morning. I'm going to invite Jim to come and play and have a moment of prayer with you this morning. And I'd invite every head just to bow this morning and everybody to close their eyes. And I don't know where you're at this Christmas Eve. I don't know where you're at with Jesus and where you feel like you are in your experience of peace and hope and love and joy. Maybe for some of you, you're living right in that and today is a day of celebration and you remember again the goodness of God when God first invited you into His presence and said, I love you. And you, like those shepherds, said, yeah, God is interrupting my life and inviting me to Jesus. Everything else ain't working. I want to know this Messiah who has come for me and I am going to go and I'm going to seek him and I'm going to pursue him with my life in this Christmas for you. It's a celebration. It's a season of remembrance. For some of you, you've done that before, but you just find yourself in the middle of the pain and the frustration and The enemy continues to whisper or sometimes yell into your life all of these lies. There's not really any hope. Things are terrible right now. You can't experience joy. You should be frustrated and bitter and isolated from the rest of the world. There's no such thing as peace. Look at all the chaos and the war. Maybe for you, it's very subtle. And God is just saying, remember again that I'm here. That in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of all of your plans, sometimes being destroyed, in the middle of those seasons when it feels like it just wasn't supposed to be this way, I'm Emmanuel. I'm with you. I'm there. And if you have faith to believe, I'm the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace who is with you in everything that you face and endure. I came to set right your heart so that I could dwell with you again. I can be with you in this. And just as you celebrate my coming, know that I'm coming again. And there is a day when every wrong will be made right every path will be straightened when my kingdom will come in all the fullness that I had intended when I made Eden. And I'm inviting you into a foretaste through the relationship with my Holy Spirit in your life right now. 
And for some of you this morning, maybe this Christmas could be your very first Christmas. You've never really said yes to Jesus. Maybe you thought there was something out there before, but you haven't really just said, yeah, I, I want to know more of this God who seems like he's been pursuing me and, and I'm going to just make this the time where even though I can't quite wrap my head around it yet, I just want to say, I just want to see. I just want to see this baby that has been born, this God who has come for me, this God who is pursuing me. I can just sense he's drawing me and today I want to be the day that I just say yes. I will choose you who's already chosen me. I don't know what camp you might be in this morning, but if you're in any of those camps, celebrating a memory of, of a life lived chasing Jesus, needing to come back to him and remember again Emmanuel, or for the first time making a decision to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and I'm going to choose to draw near to you and trust you as the, the one who died to forgive my sins and allow me to experience the presence of God, I'd invite all of you in any of those situations to repeat after me this prayer. Father God, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you for your profound love. I thank you that you love me. You created me for a relationship with you. My sin and my failure does not separate me from you in a way that you cannot fix. I can't. I'm sinful. I've broken the relationship. But you are greater than my sin. So I draw near to Jesus today to celebrate, to remember and to know that He is Messiah. He is the Savior. You are God made man for me. And I draw my life to you today by the grace offered to me through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Church family, I hope that you experience peace in your life this Christmas as you draw your heart nearer to Jesus who so desperately loves you. We hope that you have a wonderful day today. I don't know what all you have planned for today and this afternoon and this evening, but we would absolutely love to invite you to come back out to a special time of worship and remembrance this evening with our, our candlelight Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. We hope that you'll join us next Sunday for a special celebration as we prepare for the new year and turning the calendar from 2023 into 2024. No matter what, May you go with God and know that he is Emmanuel, a God with you who loves you. Go in peace.
Iyo kinu sarap. Mobi, they want me in the forest.